Hey everyone, this is Jason, and welcome to the Bold Moves Only podcast. For today's episode, I spoke with Jared Koenig, a pitcher in the Oakland A's organization who has had quite a journey to get where he's at today. I met Jared a while back when I played summer baseball with him, and he's just a good dude. Someone you root for and hope they make it. His story is one of perseverance, how a shift in your attitude can make all the difference, and how you got to put in the work, but at the end of the day, you need to do what makes you happy and what puts you in the best mental headspace. We're talking about baseball, but as with all the episodes from this podcast, you can really apply what he's saying to anything in life. Even if baseball is not really your thing, I highly encourage you to keep listening and hear Jared's story. Let's get into it. Hey, Jared, welcome to the Bold Moves Only podcast. Hi, thanks for having me out here or on here, I should say. <laughs> so you've had yourself quite a journey. A lot of baseball players find themselves kind of all over trying to do anything they can to make it or just keep on being able to play the game they love. But you've had a particularly interesting one. I'd like to start by asking you about your college baseball career. So how did you end up at Central Arizona College, a community college out in Arizona? So everyone in the that plays baseball in high school, the intention is to get recruited. I was a very late bloomer in regards to getting recruited. It was a lot of doing the rounds, the typical tournaments. I, I played for Hardkey Baseball Academy, and we, we did the junior fall classic and then the senior fall classic. And my senior year, I went, I threw well. I ended up getting a visit out of that too to Kansas, um, but Central right on the spot, they basically said, hey, come on out. So I ended up going out on a visit and I got I got a scholarship to go there, which was huge. That was kind of a big factor. I ended up choosing that over San Diego State, over University of Portland and University of Maryland, which I had, I got a late offer for actually when I was driving down to Central. So it just kind of worked out. I liked the opportunity to play there, be drafted out of my first and second year as a possibility was something I was looking into. And that was kind of ultimately a decision. It was to kind of get the college experience without paying for the true college experience. So, so you did have kind of an expectation that you were going to go pro at this point? Like what was going through your mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I've had the expectation of going pro since I was – a little kid. I mean, when I started playing, I think that was always in the mind and I never doubted it. It just took a different path in the long run. With that, yeah, the expectation was to get drafted when I went to college. Like that was that was the whole whole intention of me going and playing and chasing baseball versus chasing school. Right. But ultimately you ended up transferring to Old Dominion, a division one school in Virginia. So what ultimately drove you there? So my freshman year, I had a solid year at Central Arizona. Sophomore year was a little better ERA-wise. Command, Velo, all that was a little less. It wasn't as good. Something had changed or whatever in that in that span of time. I was still good enough to get drafted. I did get drafted by the White Sox in my sophomore year out of Central. And then I, I had two offers to go to college 
to go to D1s out of Central in the fall. And the Old Dominion was one. The other was McNeese State. I went on a visit to Old Dominion, and I liked what I was sold. And because I went on that visit, I kind of just turned down McNeese State almost immediately without even going on a visit, which I, in a sense, I kind of regret. But I think it was a good learning experience for myself. The reason I didn't uh, sign with the White Sox is I didn't even get a contract offer. I was told specifically that because they had signed Carlos Rodon way over their slot value, which I think I believe was a million over slot value. After that, they were not signing any more pitchers. And I think there's like seven guys that ended up not signing. And then I went to Old Dominion. I was expected to be one of their dudes. So I went in there, full expectations. All right, I got drafted once. I could do it again in the next next year and then be a better, be a higher pick to give me a better chance. I think I made a relatively similar mistake when I was looking at schools. I basically went from field to field and I was like, oh, that's pretty. Oh, that's pretty. Oh, I want to go there. That's pretty nice. And that's about the extent of my research. And that was uh, a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's really hard, especially when you're getting sold a bill of goods and it's completely different when you get there. Yep. A hundred percent. So, so you are there for at Old Dominion, uh, but you're only there for a year. What happened there and why did you ultimately leave? The big reason I wasn't there very long was I was just not very good. Command was not there. I wasn't getting swing and miss. I was I was getting hit around. They tried to change my arm slot. They tried everything. I mean, I was doing everything I can. I I hadn't sucked this bad in my whole life. So it was it was kind of my low point in the sense of trying to figure out what the fuck I was doing. And the pitching coach was great. He was he was trying to do everything he could to help me. And he couldn't maybe see what what I was doing and with that it came with getting my scholarship pulled by the uh, head coach there he, he he went in the office to ask about summer school or not summer school summer baseball and there was four days left in school and we still had two weeks left three weeks left of baseball he goes so basically we can't have you back we're, not, we're gonna take your scholarship weren't what we were looking for and I was like, all right, sick. I'm like, well, I'll finish out school and then I'll uh I'll just go home. So I ended up doing that. I, I really I, I don't understand this. I feel like I've I've heard stories like this over and over and over again. I mean, I think college baseball is full of self serving coaches who've kind of gone mad with power after years of having the fate of thirty to forty kids in their hands. Uh, every year. Uh, I feel like every situation I found myself in was pretty toxic, but that's just me. Yeah. And I mean, granted, me being a West Coast guy on the East Coast was didn't help. Like I wasn't any favorites. I wasn't I wasn't shown any favoritism. Like especially this particular coach, he favored every single infielder. Those were his guys. He would do anything for them. But if it was a pitcher, oh man, he did not give a shit. And nor did he even come close to really caring about the players when it came season time. In the off season, like the fall, he he was a great guy. Like he could show care for every little thing. He did all kinds of great things. But when it came into season, he got that tight butthole. At every single college coach that seems to have that ego going on, and they just can't control what's going on because they're not playing. So they they think everything's coming down. It's like 
it, the ability for them to relax and let the players play it out is it's baffling to me to see how many coaches can't do it. And I think a lot of it is just those guys aren't good at anything else. And they were always somewhat decent at baseball to where they're like, okay, I can make a career out of this. And, and then you get those guys that grinded through and maybe didn't get the opportunities and they're great coaches, but they just didn't get the opportunities. It's kind of crazy how that story, I just, I feel like I've heard it a thousand times, <laughs> like, like 80% of the guys that I know that ended up playing in college. Even in pro ball, all the guys I can talk with, they, a lot of them couldn't stand their head coaches and it just worked out for them. I, for one, didn't get worked out with that coach, but in the end, it's better than me staying there for another year and maybe pitching 20 innings and just being, all right, I'm kind of shit out of luck now versus going to my next school. So you end up at Cal State Monterey Bay, which is a division two school out of Monterey, California. Um, is there a particular reason why you chose that school and how was it playing there? Okay. So that's where all of it kind of starts to come together from my low point to gradually getting better. So I started my drive back, picked up my dad in Cincinnati. He flew into there and we did a road trip back or I started making some calls. I reached out to the scout that had drafted me from the White Sox and he gave me Arizona Christian's number, the head coach and pitching coach there. So I reached out to them. And I had a, I got a workout scheduled immediately. And he's like, I think this would be a good spot. You're in Arizona, the hot spot for scouts, everything. And I don't, I don't have a problem going D2, D3, wherever I'm going to play and have fun and enjoy it. That's what I was looking for. And probably like seven days later was when I got to Arizona to do that, maybe six. And I threw there. They had like me on the pocket radar. And it was like 84, 85, they said. And the pitching coach is like, it looks way harder than that. I don't know. I'm like, I've always said that. I don't know. It's probably just deception or whatever. And now I know it's extension. It's really what it is. That's what creates the deception for Velo. And the head coach, Bill Swift, came out and he saw the last few pitches. And he was a big leaguer with the Giants. He's like, yeah, the only thing I noticed was you were just reaching instead of being in my 90. And I asked him, and he's like, yeah, you just got to get to here and then come through versus doing this to try and come through. And you're really long and your command goes so with that i'd reached out to nick mcgrew for summer ball the seagulls which i had a great time and with that i was somewhat decent that year and my command was better my walks were down my velo was up i was 88 touching 91 i would say which was really good i hadn't been that consistent in a long time so from there I reached out to some schools. I, I couldn't go to Arizona Christian. It was too expensive. So I reached out, sent an email to Coach White at CSUMB. And within three minutes, he called me back and he's like, yes, let's go come out here, take a little visit, and we can go talk about this. And since it's a quick drive, it's 30 minutes. I, was, I went the next day, talked about it. And he, he's like, I don't have much money to offer you, but he's like, I can give you three grand. And I mean, it's only six grand a year to go there. <laughs> It was very cost-friendly, and I didn't have to worry too much. I was like, perfect. And then he came out and watched the one game I threw, and it was probably the worst game I threw all summer. We were playing top speed. I was walking the house, and then we ended up in a brawl for that game with top speed. That was when the, the guy with the ponytail said, I'm going to kill you, and then they called the police, right? <laughs> that might have been it, yeah. And I got punched in the back of the head on a cheap shot by the one ugly kid. I can't remember his name. So that, that was a whole shit show in itself. But after that, he's like, Hey, 
I'm I just came out to support you. I don't care how you did, like whatever. I still want you to just want you to know that I'm like so that was kind of like a, a relief because I kind of had that little tension pitching there too. So that was that was how I got to see B. And then I got to see B. I loved Coach White. He was fantastic. He had zero ego. He treated me with respect. He he even said, like, hey, if your dad can come out here and help you be a little bit better for than what you need, then by all means, he knows you better than than me. You're never gonna hear a coach say that. There's so many egos that they're like, no, I'm better. It's my way. That part resonated with me. I respected that. And I, w- I mean, I was able just to live at home and go to school and play baseball. And that was enjoyable. And I had, a, I had a decent year, minus a few injuries. And do you think if you didn't have that last year of really just genuinely enjoying playing, you would have just been like, nah, I'm done? Yeah, I think if I would have ran into another shitty fucking coach, I would have lost my love for the game a little more or a little sooner than I would have hoped for, considering how much I love the game still and continuously willing to play it. Yeah. So at 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 this point, you're 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 all done playing in college. You don't get drafted out of Monterey. What are you thinking? What's next for you at this point? Is it still baseball all the way, no matter what? Yeah. I got hit in the head in my senior year on a line drive, got the guy out, ball rolled to first base. And then my rib had slipped out twice that year. I'd never had any injuries in my career. I was always a healthy person. And so dealing with that, I was like, okay, well, this sucks. And I think that was part of the reason why I, I got denied in the draft in a sense. And then that led to me to like, okay, well, I'm going to play summer ball again. So I played with the Seagulls again. I'm like, I had a great time. I want to improve on what I just did. And then... That year, I was lights out. I had, I think I had like a .9 ERA, perfect game, All-American, Summer All-American, whatever, all that jazz, whatever that shit is. And I ended up getting the Dodgers workout out of that, which was, I mean, better than nothing. And they could only take six guys. And I mean, if you got taken, you're part of the Dodgers, like you're in the organization, everything. So that was the hope. I did not get selected. So I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? I worked in the offseason. I made a little money, did whatever. And then I was like, well, might as well try and play baseball again. And I talked to uh, my buddy from high school who was on a team in just outside of Detroit in the uh, Indie Ball League. He got in contact with the coach for me and got me a spring training invite to go out there. And this was in 17. I was able to, to be ready enough. I was coaching my brother's high school team. I'd throw BP kind of, and then throw to hitters at the end of the game or end of the practices to make sure that I had uh, some built upness in a sense to get ready for the season. But you ultimately played for four indie teams. You end up in San Rafael uh, with the Pacifics, where you dominated. You won Pitcher of the Year. Yeah, the next year I did. As you say, things are kind of turning around. I mean, clearly, if you look at your stats. Uh, things have significantly turned around. What, what would you attribute to this? Is there anything in particular? So the biggest thing was after it was 17 was the, the game changer for me finally changing my mentality. So with that team that I signed with in Michigan, in the United Shores League, I was there for one month. It was absolutely miserable. I, and they had me as a lefty specialist. I was not happy. Like, I mean, we're, we're paying like $300 a month with four of us, each of us paying $300 a month out of our paycheck. We're getting $600 a month. In reality, we're getting maybe 400 because taxes and everything. I got released because I wasn't getting lefty out 
lefties out. I was the lefty specialist, which at the time lefties had always hit me better. So it didn't make sense. And I tried to be a starter, but I didn't, I wasn't one of the guys that, that from the league last year that was a starter. So I got released after a couple outings, one good, couple good ones. And then the rest were just, I went home for two weeks or stayed with my aunt for two weeks before I went home in Indiana. And then I went home to California and I, I uh, got on the Pecos league, the Monterey Amberjacks. That was my second team. And then I pitched well there. I, I got to start again. First time since college. And it was the first time I'd gone six innings, my first outing since summer ball, but it felt like forever. It was like a great game. Like I threw well, like I was pumped I was throwing well strikes. Velo seemed good. And then I was on that team for four weeks. And then I got moved up to their travel team in the American Association. So one of the top indie ball leagues, I had two good starts to start out. And then the next three were just not good. And I got released at 12, 3 a.m. after a 15-hour bus ride in Dallas, Texas. Uh, got a flight that morning, seven hours later, just like a little pissed off. and like, you couldn't have done this a day before my parents were there and I could have just flown home with them. Like, it would have been so much easier. These people are just ruthless. Oh, indie ball is ruthless in general, but let alone this, how this travel team was set up. It wasn't, I mean, it was just to get guys some looks, I think, versus to see if they would get signed by the team next, by another team next year in that league. Uh, so with that, that's when I got, I landed in San Francisco, got a call from the assistant GM with San Rafael, and I went there for the last two weeks of the season. I threw well enough that they brought me back. And so within that off season, that was when everything kind of changed my, my mentality in general. And, and I think I also got LASIK in 17, the fall of 17. I'd say that was another providing factor and helping, but. But what, what about your attitude? What, 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 what with your mentality switched? So after that, the whole fall, I'm kind of, I'm sitting on it. Like what just happened? Cause by the end of the year, like I was worn out, like body was tired mentally. I was exhausted. Like, I mean, I was doing everything. And I think around in the fall, I was normal stuff, just working. And I got LASIK. I did. That's when I got it, which was huge. It was nice to be able to see without glasses. And then I think that kind of gave me a little more confidence knowing like, okay, like it's, it sounds kind of dumb, but like I could see a little clear, obviously, because I got LASIK, like everything. But then, I was looking back at things. I'm like, man, this might be my last year playing baseball. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to have fun with it. And the whole intention was just fuck it. The whole thing, everything. That's literally all it was. I just said, fuck it. With that fuck it mentality came a lot more fun. Once we got to in season, I was willing to go out like before start or whatever, like go out at the night, have a couple of drinks at the bar. Uh, with the guys have fun and enjoy my time with the guys versus trying to be oh I have to be really I have to be on top of my stuff and and not do anything the night before or even anything just in general before or that week like I gotta I gotta be ready I gotta be ready it's like no fuck it I'm gonna have fun I'm gonna go do whatever makes me happy and then baseball will be will be there no matter what so with that I had a really good year uh <laughs> I led the league. I set the league record for strikeouts. I think I set the league record for wins. My coaches were awesome. I mean, I still talk to to them here and there, and I think they were they were part of that deciding factor and letting me be me. And finally, 
coming into my own as a person mentally and and on the baseball field it's kind of interesting i felt like you know i i was one of a kind of player who took it just way too serious and mm -hmm. the literally the be always on every team i ever played with the best guys on the team were the ones who just let it loose and really just mm -hmm. didn't care <laughs> yeah honestly yeah that that whole team was i think it was really good for me we were a bunch of guys that had a great time uh none of us were too serious about things i mean grant we were really freaking good too we won a lot of baseball games but we all got along we could all go out we could all go do things go to the city doing fun things on our off days or anything going to get breakfast like it, everything about that team was fantastic and the coaches only added to it i mean they both understood what they were doing they were so intelligent on the baseball field and they're not it, that's what I've noticed. Always the best coaches aren't the ones that are doing it for a living. They do it for fun because, or because they have to. And they they were doing it for fun. They didn't need to do that. They had wives, they had children, they had jobs outside of that. But they they wanted to do it because they enjoyed it. And they were just so smart. So much details without putting hands on. They they said the little things. They didn't micromanage. They let everything happen, and it was. It was it was huge. Yeah, that's great. And so so after your time with the Pacifics, you go on and play for Auckland out in New Zealand in the Australian Baseball League. And most people listening to this probably didn't even know that they played baseball there, or for those that don't follow baseball too yeah. closely. But yeah. it's actually a great league, super competitive. Uh, how, did, how did that end up happening? So that, that happened after... Uh, my 19th season, which was with, is supposed to start with the Milwaukee Milkmen, their first year as a league or as a team in the American Association. So I'm like, okay, finally, after my 18 year, I'm like, okay, I got a good chance to go here because I signed with them in October. They oversigned and they ended up trading me to Lake Erie Crushers in the Frontier League before spring training. And their spring training was starting a little bit sooner. And I had to fight for my way to, to get to get more money there because they were trying to give me less than what I was expecting to make in the American. I'm like, I, I'm like, Hey, I need this. He ended up giving me what I wanted. And he's like, Hey, you're going to be on a short leash just because you're getting a little more money. I'm like, I don't care about the money. I'm here to be the best pitcher in this fucking league. And I told him that straight up. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like you can have me on a short leash, whatever you want, but I'm here to be better than everyone. And I showed up probably six days in the spring, their spring training because I was, I'm like, I have prior obligations. Like I'm committed to the team. I was coaching another team this year, that year. I was like, I mean, I have to do this for at least a little bit more before my dad can take over. And he's like, okay, just get here when you can get here. I'm like, perfect. Thank you. With that, I had a great year there. Uh, but the league in strikeouts, I think I was second in, the, or I think I led the league in ERA as well. And with that, I got an offer um, from DJ Carrasco. He was the pitching coach. Uh, with Auckland he was actually talking to our other pitcher Patty Lede and he had an offer from Melbourne and Auckland and he chose Melbourne and he gave my number to DJ and he reached out to me got to talk to him and he's like so what changed and like between your early years of well college and everything to where you're this now I'm like it literally my mentality I just said fuck it that's exactly what I told him I'm like I'm here to have fun and I'm here to be better than everyone and he, he's like, makes sense. I like it. You're the guy we want. 
he told Mincy, the head coach, he's like, this is the guy we want. He's like, are you sure? I go, yes, this is who we want. And I got to speak with Mincy and he's like, like I was able to ask for some money, which was, I think it was like 500 bucks a week is what I was getting. I said 450, but I think they ended up giving me 500. I never told them that, but I'll take it. And uh, they covered living out there. They covered my flight. They asked if I could pay for my flight. I'm like, no, sorry guys, I don't have that kind of money. So they they were able to cover my flight, fly me out there. Yeah, I mean, how was it out there? It was absolutely amazing. The the country of New Zealand in general, and I was only on the North Island, is spectacular. If anyone ever gets a chance to go there, I highly recommend it because it's beautiful. Australia was freaking sweet, too, to go see a few of the places I got to see there. The beaches were nice there as well. Got to see some of the... Uh, the mountains go see some kangaroos and koalas got to hold a koala you know like the 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 touristy kind of things for people like us that think about that stuff and i mean that was my first time out of the country out of the u.s was going to new zealand and then to australia it was such a great experience that i i'm forever grateful i had the opportunity to go because i mean baseball has taken me a lot of cool places but that was one of the coolest spots it has ever taken me and how soon after you got there were you getting interest from MLB teams? So I got there. We started our spring training, which was, I think, it was roughly two weeks. I got there November 12th. I threw, I think, two spring training outings, or maybe it was just one. And I was terrible. I couldn't throw the strike, save my life. Granted, we were on one of the, I mean, like you said, baseball is not. A main sport out there it's a growing sport that's becoming more enjoyed by players for sure so we're on this one field that's just not built up for baseball it was tough and the umpires there don't get me wrong they're not that great either because they're still learning and like it's not something they've grown up doing so i couldn't i couldn't get a break with a strike zone i couldn't throw a strike i was getting shit on and i'm like well this is good and i was told by dj he's like yeah man mincy's really worried about you <laughs> He's like, he's like, I don't know what we can do. And I had the second game for the for the opening series. And I go out. I was kind of concerned too. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> and and then I I come out. I dominated. I threw four off speed pitches. The rest were fastballs. I had immaculate inning in the fourth. And then after that, they didn't question it or like Mincy wasn't concerned anymore. He's like, okay, this is fine. And DJ after the game, he's like. Hey, Mincy, weren't you a little worried about it? Like talking to him while I'm right there. And he goes, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> so it was good. DJ's great. I still talk to him all the time. He's He's been one of my big supporters. And and it must have been just like an incredible moment when you got the call with the A's. Yeah. How did it feel when you finally signed with them? What, what did that process even look like for you? Yeah. So the after the first week, I threw well, obviously. And with that, I, I kind of avoided your question prior to, sorry. So the Min Steve Mintz, he's with the Rangers. So he's a coach. DJ Crasco at the time was with the Dodgers, like as a special assistant kind of. And then Darren Bragg, our hitting coach, he was with the Reds. So I had three guys already that were, that could put my name in the fold for the teams. Uh, that was huge. And then my second outing, we went to Melbourne, got to see my buddy and the A's, uh, Australian scout was there. I didn't, I mean, I didn't know until the following week he watched me throw. I threw really well. Again, he called me and he he'd put my name in. He's like, okay, like I want, I'm trying to get you to get signed by the A's. And then prior to the next week, I was told 
that they didn't have room for me before my next door. I'm like, okay, it's fine. I kind of figured that like it is what it is. Then I threw another great outing and they called me then the following day or the following week, maybe on Monday, like, Hey, we're going to sign you now. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my, okay. Well that, that, uh, that's great. And I'm like, you're gonna have to talk to my, my coaches and GM from Lake Erie. Cause with the frontier league, there's two year contracts. When you're a first year player, I think with them, you get, it's a two year contract. They have your rights. And if they want to bring you back to camp, which I was going to get brought back, obviously they, so they had to work out the details with them to buy my contract, which in a sense kind of benefited me because it meant they had to put a little more money invested in my name. I was ecstatic. I was just in my room at the, uh, at the dorms we stayed at. And I was just like sitting there just like, wow, this is, this is kind of what I've been looking for. And I, I reached out to my, my family, my grandparents, my, my, my grandpa started crying. So like, that was, that was really cool. My dad was pumped for me. My whole family was just so ecstatic. That's awesome. It was a great feeling. And then I got to play the next three weeks still. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed every bit of it. And I was so grateful for the opportunity. And I still am grateful that the A's gave me the opportunity. I mean, I'm here because of them. Yeah. And then you get this opportunity, but in your first year due to COVID, the year is canceled. So, you know, and at this point, you're, you're already an older prospect than the typical prospect entering their first year. But now you're told you're going to miss a full year. So how did you process that? And how did you stay focused? Yeah, so that, that again goes back to uh, twenty nine prior to 2019 and in between 2018. My my indie ball coach, Cav, he got me with my trainer, uh, Rossi's training, Matt Rossignol. Like, I had figured out my mental side. He changed the game for my physical side. And so with that, like, he got me ready for 19. He got me dialed in. I had a great year. And then he got me ready to go to New Zealand, like, in the short few weeks I was home before I had to leave and then I came back and immediately got ready with him to go for spring training this time where it really where it really counted I went to spring training I was there for a week got sent home because of COVID so with that I was I was in the gym every day I was trying to get better his gym closed because COVID California especially being on the uh the quicker side with lockdowns and stuff like that my brother and I he was at he'd been at the gym now for the last year or so too we worked we took some stuff from the gym brought it to our house and we would work out every day uh monday through friday sometimes saturdays and that was kind of how i stayed ready i think i improved because i was constantly doing that and building off what i had done yeah it sucked believe me to miss that whole year like that was i was so excited just to get sent away and then have to be sitting at home waiting for the baseball season to come around, wondering if I'm going to get released or not because I was a new signee and all that. And then in October, they brought us in for instructs, uh, some of the new guys and then some of their their higher picks and like prospect-wise. And it was nice to be able to to put my my name in the door a little bit to where they could see who I was. And I, I, threw, dec- I threw pretty well there, only a couple outings, but it was – enough for them to see me i think and it helped me get to to the next spring training where i was able to start in double a because i'd thrown well there and i threw well in that next spring training so so as you say you you come back and in 2021 you're playing for the a's double a team 
the Midland Rockhounds, and you have an amazing year, ultimately becoming an organizational all-star for the A's. Now you're playing for the A's AAA team out in Las Vegas. You've been bouncing around, grinding away, and yet you seem to just get better and better uh, as time goes on. And you've kind of talked on this a bit, and sports in general require an immense amount of mental toughness, but baseball in particular, I think, is arguably the most mentally demanding, and pitching, being in the spotlight every time you touch a ball, being the beginning of every single play is probably the most mentally demanding position. Mm-hmm. So as a player, as a person, I know you've, you know, you you mentioned this fuck it attitude, but you know, what is your mindset that, that allows you to handle all this pressure? The other thing that comes to mind is that you know how superstitious baseball players are. Yeah, it's crazy. And very, <laughs> very routine oriented they can be is I've made it a point to be the least routine based person I can ever be for baseball. I try and do something different no matter what, because I don't, I keep my couple things that I, that are very routine like, but timing wise, I used to, if I didn't start at my time, like for my stretches, like, like I was taught in college to be like, you should have your schedule, know your thing down to a T. And I realized, I think in nine. 18 and 19 in between there maybe I was like you know I need to like change this up a little bit and not be so mentally locked in on if something if I start late then my I'm gonna suck you know what I mean so with that I try and do something different I I don't eat the same food like I if there's something good I'm feeling that day I'll go eat it that's fine if there's like my time based people always ask the catchers always ask like what time are you going out there I go I don't know (laughs) <laughs> I gotta figure it out. I gotta figure it out. There's, uh, I, I've, yeah. So that's been kind of part of the mentality. I think that keeps me freer from overthinking and from keeping my brain so worked up to where I can, I can just kind of do whatever I want, and I know it's not going to affect my on-field performance. I know I'm ready for what I've done out there. I think that's the toughest part for anyone playing the game is knowing that they've done everything they can to be ready for when they're on the mound or when they're out in the game. And do you think that kind of translates to everything? I I believe so. I think that covers a blanket of things along with my mentality now, especially. I learned a lot late. I've been a late bloomer in the sport my whole life. And I've always been able to pitch. That's, that's been my saving grace. Plus I've been (laughs) left-handed. I mean, I don't, th- I don't have to throw hundred miles an hour to, to get an opportunity. I just have to throw strikes and get outs. I find it really interesting. And I think people are a bit confused when I say this, but I, you know, my career was not a success by any means. <laughs> and yet I can honestly say, I think I worked harder than almost anyone that I played with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, partially, partially that came with, you know, trying to figure it out, but I was constantly trying to figure it out physically yeah uh whether that was six in the morning 11 p.m it didn't matter like i was just grind 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 Mm -hmm. and i think we are kind of told that if you just work extremely hard and you just grind your ass off it's gonna work out but it's really not that simple at all no it's it's and i mean baseball is a fucked up game in itself i mean you if you're hitting 300 it's three out of 10. You're doing really freaking good. 
Like that's that doesn't make sense. I mean, they call it a, a foul pole, not the fair pole. The game from it, its onset has been just a messed up game, and we we get tricked into playing this this game, and we love it. I mean, and some some come to hate it sooner than others, and some have to end their careers sooner than others. Some are fortunate to keep keep playing and be really good at it and make a living off of it. And then you get those guys that are the grinders that continue to grind and hope they get the opportunity and hope to to even just get a, a shot even one day in the big leagues. And then you get those guys who are like, they know they're going to get it and they have, they, they've worked hard for it. And then it just doesn't happen. There's, there's so many things that come along with it. It's, it's, it's hard to see and you can't predict any of it. Yeah. And so, so last question, what would you say to someone who is in pursuit of their dreams or just a goal, some, something that's really important for them, but they see what lies ahead and might be discouraged? What, what would you say to them from, from the beginning? What do they need to know and carry with them? I'd say take it one day at a time and don't be discouraged when it doesn't go your way because odds are it's never going to go your way. There's something that's going to happen. There's something negative that's going to happen. There's something positive that's going to happen. Embrace it all. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Just put your head down, get the work in and, and keep going. I mean, that's, that's kind of, I, I try to avoid myself. I try to avoid getting really too high and really too low. I, I try and stay even keeled. If I can stay even keeled, then, I think my mentality is good. But if I get too high, then I, I get lackadaisical. If I get too low, then I'm like, well, then I'm just upset for no reason. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining the Bold Move Only podcast. Sweet. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. It was fun talking. Thank you all for listening. If I took one thing from this episode, it's that you got to put in the work, but also let it loose. You got to free yourself free your mind and don't let these outside forces keep you down they're not worth it be bold and have a great day